In an earlier Tomorrow's World program entitled The War Against Knowledge, we discussed how, among other things, the teaching of contextual and sequential history has virtually been abolished in the public schools of North America. Writing 35 years ago, distinguished writer and professor Paul Witz of New York University wrote, The present educational establishment, to cite just one group, has been obscuring the past so that our children have no way of comparing the facts of history with the distorted version promoted by biased secular historians. Dr. Witz wrote these words in 1986. I wonder what he would say today. Currently, most people do not have an overview of the history of the past 200 years. Hence, they do not understand the positions of countries or even the real background of the social issues that are tearing apart the fabric of our nations. Our program, The War Against Knowledge, emphasized that the longevity and strength of Western culture has been largely a consequence of the stabilizing power of the Judeo-Christian ethics, once so esteemed among our peoples. Over the past generation, the knowledge and stories related by the Bible that once formed a framework for our laws, literature, and even our scientific advances have been lost. Thus, we have a growing population that has been effectively quarantined from the foundation of our culture and immersed in an antisocial, nihilistic rhetoric, leaving most people adrift without moral or cultural moorings. We at Tomorrow's World believe that it is time to restore an historical base, at least to some in society, with the foundational knowledge of the great personages recorded in the biblical text and the lessons their stories convey. Their examples can serve to guide us all to more successful decisions enriching our lives. We, with our children and grandchildren, can thereby be guarded against a disconnect from the only moral foundation that will lead to happiness. We are pleased to offer, with each of three programs on historical figures, a different special DVD which will give much more detail about the real people and real events that not only shaped history, but describes the future that lies before us. Stay tuned as we embark on a short series of programs on the foundation of Western culture, beginning with one of the most influential persons in history, Abraham. Welcome back. We are embarking on a series of programs highlighting individuals whose contributions to Western culture are often overlooked. Our first such character is a figure known as Abraham. We are introduced to him in Genesis 11 verse 26, where a man named Terah is said to have engendered a son called Abram. His name would eventually be changed to Abraham. According to the chronology of the Masoretic text of the Hebrew Bible, Abraham was born about 357 years after the disastrous global flood, associated with the biblical hero named Noah. We are told that Abraham and his father lived in a city known as Ur of the Chaldees. Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, 
Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. We are told that Abram was one of three brothers, at least there are three mentioned. The Bible also states that Abram's brother Haran died in Ur, prior to what seems to be a hasty departure. The fact that the Bible refers to this Ur as his native land tells us that Abram was, at that time, among his own people. The fact that Haran died at a young age raises suspicions of a violent incident. Some legends suggest that Abram and his family had to flee from Ur. One question that is often asked is, where is the Ur of Abraham? Archaeologists normally will point to the large archaeological site in southern Iraq, 300 kilometers south of Baghdad, first excavated in 1922. The name of the place on some of the tablets found at that excavation is similar to that of the Hebrew name in the Bible. However, there are some difficulties with this interpretation. The Kaldu, Chaldeans, did not arrive in the region of southern Iraq until after the time of Abraham. In his day, it was inhabited by people called Sumerians. Secondly, the Bible says that Abraham lived on the other side, beyond or east of the Euphrates. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. Yet the traditional site of Ur is west of the Euphrates. Increasingly, Bible historians are considering a more likely location for a Chaldean Ur, as the Bible calls the location from which Abram came as Ur of the Chaldees. American historian Dr. Cyrus Gordon, who has studied the matter and has been involved in work on the Ebla tablets which were found in Ebla, western Syria, writes, But Sumerian Ur is never called Ur of the Chaldees in any of the numerous references to Ur in the cuneiform tablets. The designation of Abraham's Ur as of the Chaldees distinguishes it from other cities called Ur, including Sumerian Ur located a thousand miles from Haran. What is of interest is rather that the new Ebla reference to Ur in Haran is in keeping with the biblical evidence that Abraham's birthplace is to be sought somewhere in the Urfa Haran region. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, and Abram's wife Sarai out of Ur, today Urfa, in southern Turkey, and traveled to Haran some 65 kilometers to the south. There they remained until Terah died, when Abram was 75 years old. At that time, God communicated with Abram, instructed him to leave his relatives and travel to an as yet unknown location. This command was accompanied with a promise to Abram, a remarkable promise, the first of the covenants the Creator made with him. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God loves his creation, and especially mankind. 
He brought human beings into existence for a reason, but that objective was largely unknown at the time. God was initiating a plan to open the possibility for mankind to partake of the grand purpose for which the creation was made. Abram was to pave the way for that to be realized, and hence the statement, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Bible is to a great measure the story in how God is working with humanity, through Abram at first, and then with his physical and spiritual descendants. The history we will cover will reveal many facts that you may have never realized before. Surprisingly, the biblical text is not only a history, but a guidebook with examples, which, by studying all the references on a particular subject, illuminates the meaning of its own mysterious prophecies. If you are interested in some of the history which also reveals the biblical identity of modern nations, you will find today's offer of great interest. We are pleased to offer you today for the very first time a DVD entitled The Apostles' Prophetic Journeys. Where did they go subsequent to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? This story is told by the late Mr. Rod King, and in the course of revealing where the apostles went, he uncovers the modern identity of ancient biblical peoples. Welcome back. As we have read, Abram was ordered to leave Haran after Terah's death, and he dutifully obeyed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. This and many other situations recorded in Abram's life emphasize a key quality which set him apart from most people before or since. You can follow the detailed account of his life in the book of Genesis chapters 12 through 25. This exemplary man obeyed God without question, regardless of consequences. His obedience or faithfulness was very highly valued by God. Even the Apostle Paul, writing nearly 2,000 years later in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, describes Abraham as the figurative father of all those who are faithful. Of course, faith refers to belief, being convinced of something. But being faithful is much more. A faithful person is one who acts according to belief. True faith does not exist without the will to live by those beliefs. The story of Abraham, which is far more extensive than what that which we can cover in one program, is a lesson in faithfully obeying that which God directs as a right action. Hence, James is inspired to make the following statement. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Abraham, because of what he did as a result of what he believed, that God is righteous, trustworthy, and should be therefore obeyed, became the standard in the Bible for a person upon whom God can count in any situation. God therefore made the decision to use one branch of Abraham's descendants to do a special work for him on the earth. 
that family did not live up to the standards of their ancestor. But God kept and will yet keep his promise to Abram. Continuing our story, soon after Terah's death, Abram followed God's guidance and began his journey. In truth, Abram departed not knowing the specific destination God had in mind. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. With him were his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot. It appears Abram had taken responsibility to care for Lot after Abram's brother Haran died in Ur. He was not a poor man at this time as he took with him many possessions and numerous servants. As we read in Genesis 12, verse 5, the caravan entered Canaan and camped in a succession of places including Shechem and later Bethel, eventually traveling south, likely toward Hebron. Not long after they arrived, the land experienced a crop failure due to some climatic variation. This was a life and death situation, so the record shows that Abram, his family and servants, packed up and headed into Egypt, which was unaffected by the food shortage. An incident occurred here which reveals a great deal about the corruption of culture which seems to have been entrenched in the region. Sarai, although now nearing 70 years of age, was of such beauty that Abram feared for his life. The practice of a local ruler was to kill the husband of such a woman, allowing him to make a wife of the widow. Thus, out of fear, Abram and Sarai agreed that she would say she was his sister. Of course, this was a half-truth, as Sarah was Abram's half-sister, which is explained by a similar incident during an interaction with a Philistine ruler a few years later. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. This is, of course, before God revealed laws pertaining to marriage with close relations in the days of Moses. Pharaoh took Sarai into his harem, but he had no relations with her. In turn, he bestowed great favor and gifts on Abram. But God intervened and brought about plagues on Pharaoh's household. When Pharaoh discovered the issue, he was angry with Abram. Yet out of fear of Abram's God, returned his wife and sent him out of the country with great gifts. Thus Abram returned to Canaan, excessively wealthy and powerful. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. This, of course, was prophetic of the time centuries later when the descendants of Abram, the tribes of Israel, would come out of Egypt with all of its wealth in their possession, as Psalm 105 verse 37 relates and he brought them out with silver and gold. Biblical history is a critical element in understanding the purpose of the content of the scriptures. It reveals not only events of the past and lessons for how to lead a happier life, but also prophecies and the incredible purpose intended for mankind. Our complimentary offer, the Apostles' Prophetic Journeys, We'll explain from historical sources what happened to these men after the biblical record ends and the amazing reason why they went where they did. So far today, we have looked at the calling of Abram, a man who had human weaknesses, 
but was dedicated to obeying God. How did he know of the true God when other people seemed to have become corrupted by idol worship and a variety of man-made religions? Abram's lineage is carefully preserved in the Bible. He was of the tenth generation from the patriarch Noah. According to the ages of the people in each of these generations, as recorded in Scripture, the righteous son of Noah named Shem was still alive during most of Abram's lifetime. While we do not know where he may have been residing, it is almost inconceivable that Abram would not have met him, giving him a direct connection with the history not only of the pre-flood world, but also of the morals and laws of the God of creation whom Noah and Shem served. Time does not permit us to go through in detail all of the events in this incredible man's life. You can read in Genesis 13 that God showed Abram the vast expanse of the land his descendants would inherit, although he still had no offspring. Abram and Lot had grown so rich in livestock, they had to separate due to the need for increased grazing areas. Lot chose the then fertile valley south of the Dead Sea, among the populous cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, an assured market for his products and a home for his family and many servants. So Abram remained at Bethel. Not long afterward, the region was attacked by an alliance of five kings from Mesopotamia. Sodom and Gomorrah were defeated and their populace, including Lot, taken captive. Due to the extent of Abram's wealth and influence, as related in Genesis 14, he was able to muster his own trained private army and with God's support, defeat the combined forces of those who had attacked Sodom. All the captives were freed, including Lot. Abram refused the rewards offered him by the rulers he had saved. He wanted to ensure God alone received the credit for his safety, prosperity, and all blessings. Abram did not worship pagan gods, but we see in Genesis 14 that he paid tithes to and humbled himself before a great being named Melchizedek. The Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 7 verses 1 to 3 identifies Melchizedek as the one we later know as Jesus Christ. In Genesis 15, we read that God gave Abram a message, making him a great promise of innumerable descendants. Yet he and his wife Sarai were childless. And then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abram simply believed God and would act accordingly, even though he was at this time around 85 years of age. God then made a second covenant with Abram, showing him that he would indeed inherit all this land and that his descendants, after a period of servitude in Egypt, would return to the land of Canaan, which would then be theirs. But the ultimate fulfillment of this promise, as the book of Hebrews shows, would be far in the future, when people from any nation who submit to God and are faithful are to receive an eternal inheritance as spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city 
which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. While this vision caused Abram to understand God's long-term plan and gave him great strength, he still had no children to inherit his wealth or to inherit the enormous promises God said he was giving to his descendants. Sarai, knowing the promise of descendants for Abraham and aware that she could not have children, asked Abram to have a child for her through her servant Hagar. Hagar then became a concubine, a slave wife. This refers to a legal wife, but one whose children would not necessarily have inheritance rights. Hagar did become pregnant by Abram. At first Sarah was pleased, but then Hagar, knowing that Abram would love this child, saw herself as Sarah's equal, causing much friction. Hagar fled from her mistress, likely toward her homeland in Egypt, and while resting at a water spring, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and made a promise. Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. God promised Hagar that Abram's line through Ishmael would be a significant people on the earth, and that God would care for them. They would not perish. But Ishmael was clearly not the child of promise God indicated would come to Abram. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Thirteen years passed and no sign of a child through Sarai. Then God appeared again to Abram when he was 99 years of age. This time, God announced the third covenant with Abram, with even more profound blessings pledged, including the birth of a son to him from Sarai. God then changed the name of Abram to Abraham, father of a multitude, caused Sarah's name to be altered to Sarah, princess, and promised that within a year, God would return and Sarah would have a child. On hearing this, Abraham, partly out of joy and partly for the seeming impossibility of a man of 99 fathering a child, fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Again, Abraham pleaded for the promise to be granted through Ishmael. He loved Ishmael and had grown close to him. But God had a different plan. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Thus, this great posterity God granted Abraham was to be carried on by his son Isaac, destined to be the recipient of the birthright now promised to the descendants of Abraham and Sarah. 
The amazing story we have just begun, which carries through the entirety of the Bible, will impact the millions of Abraham's descendants through Isaac. In the next program in this series about the foundation of Western culture, we will examine some historical highlights and especially the prophecies given to Abraham and Isaac that will affect you today and will change your world in the years immediately ahead of us. If you're interested in the history of the Bible, please take time to call for our special series on the Apostles' prophetic journeys. This will also help reveal the present-day identity of the birthright people's descendant from this most faithful of men, Abraham. Join us next week when Gerald Weston, Michael Haycoop and I will bring you more information that will help you better understand why we are in our present state and the glorious future kingdom that will soon be established on this earth.